X and Y. For a long time, these two letters were thought to be the only thing determining whether you were a male or a female. If your male biological parent's sperm contained the X chromosome, you would be a female, and if it was a Y chromosome, you'd be a male. This outdated idea that there are only two sexes, and subsequently only two genders, is commonly used as a piece of transphobic rhetoric. That is, arguments that are used to discriminate and delegitimize the lived experience of transgender individuals. However, like all science, the science of sex is ever-evolving, and that argument doesn't hold up with what we know now. In this episode, we're going to learn more about sex chromosomes and why that argument just doesn't make any sense anymore. I'm Connor, and welcome back to On the Sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about the science of sex is Maria Dank, a chemist, science for everyone researcher, and queer and STEM promoter. Thanks so much for joining us, Maria. Thanks for having me as well. So the first question, let's get it right out of the way. What is the difference between the X and Y chromosomes? So generally speaking, uh, with the X and Y chromosome, generally speaking, it's taught that when you have two X chromosomes, you're female, and if you have one X chromosome and one Y chromosome, you're male. Just to clarify, a chromosome is just essentially the way DNA is transported in the cell. So it's very much like coiled up. So if you think of like coiling a rubber band, so it scrunches all together, that's kind of how DNA is transported within the cells. Um, the biggest difference really between the X and Y chromosome is that the Y chromosome is much smaller than the X chromosomes and it carries much less genetic information than the X chromosome does. So this is actually the reason why uh, males are more likely to be colorblind than um, females is because there's more genetic information about colorblindness on the X chromosome in comparison to the Y chromosome, which doesn't carry that information. Um, one of my university professors actually called it called the Y chromosome a genetic junkyard because seriously, there really <laughs> isn't anything, a lot of things on there that are like essential for human function. Right. So you're saying that these chromosomes are just another form of DNA. They're how we transport information. So then how did we originally think to determine what's male, what's female? So yeah, I alluded this to um, about this a little bit earlier, is that when you have, generally speaking, it was assumed that if you have a Y chromosome, you must be male. And if you have two X chromosomes, you must be female. But there's a lot more to sex determination rather than just being like, okay, you have this chromosome, therefore you must be this sex. So one thing that's um, specific on the Y chromosome is there's a gene called SRY, which assists in develop a person developing testes. Um, before I dive a little bit more into that, I just kind of want to talk a little bit more about fetal development. So when a sperm combines with an egg, um, you essentially get the fetal cells and these cells will multiply and continue to do so. And after about five weeks, there's a specific group of cells that will become either the testes or the ovaries or even neither in very rare cases. Um, the one thing that's actually cool about these cells is there isn't really like one on-off switch that determines whether if they become ovaries or testes, it's really a combination of signals that are given at specific times. So if you kind of want to think about this, it's a little bit more like, instead of being like an on-off switch, it's more like a symphony. So everything has to come all together in order to determine whether someone develops um, testes or ovaries. So in the case of testes, we know that SRY, the gene I mentioned earlier, plays a pretty big role. This you can kind of think of the SRY as the conductor of the symphony, which kind of directs the cells to become more like testes. Um, one thing to know as well is that once these cells become testes or ovaries, there are other signals or other genes which are activated 
so that they continue to develop to becoming testes and ovaries. And then it also develops other um, sexual characteristics, such as developing the vagina or the penis. Um, one other thing that's actually pretty wild to note is that our sexual features aren't necessarily static. There's genes which are activated and exist throughout our lives in order to maintain our sexual characteristics. So what that means is that if these genes are turned off, we would develop traits more similar to the opposite sex that um, we are assigned at birth. So um, one that they actually found in mice is that they found a gene called FOXL2 maintains ovarian function. So in female mice, if this gene is missing or deleted, they found that the ovarian cells become more like testes cells. So it kind of really challenges what we know as female or male. And the reality is it's not just a single chromosome that really determines whether you are male or female. There's a lot of other genes involved, lots of things that go even with during your life and post puberty that keep those traits. And that's kind of something that's been really challenged in the past, I would say about like 10, 15 years in this kind of area. Right. So we're learning and we're seeing that there's so much more to it. It's not just, oh, XX versus XY, right? It exactly. can be a whole other slew of different things. So what does that mean for like sexual development or for someone who is male or female or neither? So kind of the one really big thing that um, we see now is that kind of like with all these factors that contribute into determining sex, there's a lot of things that could potentially go um, in a different direction, don't work the way that they typically do. And as a result, these people don't are not necessarily male or female. And we usually give these people the labels of um, intersex. So intersex people, um, they can have extra copies of a sex chromosome. They can have um, presence or absence of genes that regulate specific sexual organs or secondary sex trait. Um, essentially, as I mentioned earlier, because there's so many things that go on to determine set sex, there's a reason why these people exist. And um, it's sad because like, it really these people usually don't get the right care that they need in the medical world because we are often assigned um, female or male depending on which chromosomes are present and that can be pretty harmful um, for individuals right and so you talk about care and medicine what does that look like for someone who is trans or non-binary or intersex right are we prepared to treat people if we are not just classifying as male or female as we know that that's not the only thing that someone can be. Yeah, I'm not really sure like what the medical curriculum looks like nowadays because I, I'm not a medical student. <laughs> um, but I like, but like I hear a lot from my trans, non-binary, and even my two STLGBQIA plus friends that um, oftentimes the medical system is so designated to be like cisgender heteronormative. So for example, one of my friends, she's a woman, but she exclusively dates other women. She like the common question is like, oh, are you sexually active? And she's like, yes, I'm sexually active. And then they're like, okay, let's take a pregnancy test. But she's like, no, I am not. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. But that's just like one example. But back to like intersex and trans individuals, like one that's really awful with trans individuals is that they're, because we are like, for example, we're in Ontario, our OHIP card says our sex on it, right? So the sex will say male, but they clearly identify as being a trans woman. 
and they won't get the proper care. They face stigma. The doctors don't know how to treat them, so on and so forth. Um, so kind of using this like biological sex is the only way to determine what kind of care is appropriate is like super problematic. Um, on top of that, like intersex individuals are like completely forgotten. I might be wrong, but I think Canada is now giving a third sex option on the passports. I might be completely wrong on that. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think kind of moving more towards that system for those who are intersex would definitely be like much, much, much more helpful. But on top of that, like, the medical curriculum definitely needs to be overhauled a little bit more to like include much more inclusive healthcare because the people who I know in this field who work in healthcare, most of them are self-taught. They really go to like conferences about trans and like LGBT plus like healthcare, that kind of thing should not be an extracurricular to those in the medical field. It should be ingrained in the medical education itself. Um, but in general, I think like something that really needs to be done in terms of, um, more uh inclusive medical care is just like making sure we have like transgender representation and intersex representation like medical studies um just getting like more feedback of people and who are getting treatment from these areas so on and so forth to ensure that we can give the best care possible to those who do not fit this typical gender binary sex binary that has been so enforced in like western cultures and like western medicine over like the past hundred years absolutely so we definitely need to be much more inclusive in all of our healthcare settings because it doesn't work in this sex binary and we talked a lot about like cisgender transgender non-binary can you give us a quick rundown of what the difference between sex and gender is okay so Sex is essentially kind of all like the biological determinants that um, are usually used in the medical fields. So this is usually the label female versus male or intersex. So it includes things such as the XY chromosomes that determine it, any type of genes that could potentially determine it. Um, But generally speaking, when you are born, you are assigned a sex based on the genitalia that you have when you are born. A gender, on the other hand, is kind of the um, more societal representation we have. Essentially, a cisgender person is someone who um, their sex is in line with their gender expression and gender identity. So if you are born with a penis and if you are if you identify as a man, then you are cisgender. Um, transgender people, on the other hand, they, these people can, do not identify with the sex that was assigned at birth. So um, if you are, if you have a vagina at birth, then if you do not identify as a woman, so this can be somewhere including non-binary. So this is someone who identifies neither male nor, uh, sorry, neither as a man nor a woman, somewhere in between. So this can include like gender queer. Um, it's just an umbrella term overall. And then someone who is um, transgender, um, transgender is really an umbrella term, so it depends on who uses it. The definition might change, but generally speaking, we take the assumption as someone who does not identify with the sex that was assigned at birth. Right. And we can already see that, like you said, from the science, it's not a sex binary, right? There's so many things that go into it more than just chromosomes. And it's, it's the same thing with gender as well. So... That was an awesome talk and a quick primer on on the biology behind all of it. Um, and it's really great that we're able to have these conversations and it sucks that we have to work against so many societal traditions, I guess. Yeah, 
the one thing too that's really like trashy like I think is like a lot of people are like oh gender what's is what's in your pants kind of like bs and they're like oftentimes like oh the science supports it but like no the science does not no. support sex like sex like binary at all like stop using your trashy rhetorics with trashy science yeah the the science doesn't support your transphobia so we don't exactly we don't like that here you can take that we don't like yeah we don't like that we don't like that um, awesome. Well, it was great having a conversation with you, Maria. I really appreciate that, um, bringing in your expertise there and chatting. Thank you so much for having me. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Sam Marchetti, Connor McLean, June Kim, and Cheryl Nguyen, with editorial help provided by Kayla Benjamin. On the Sidelines is sponsored by the University of Toronto's Student Engagement Grant.